Well, hey, everybody. Uh, like Trevor said, my name's Jay, and uh, I'm the executive of ministries here. And man, I just couldn't be more excited to see you guys. I love the fact that we're back in the buildings. I know we keep saying that each week, but frankly, as a staff, we just can't get over it. I mean, we've, we've missed seeing y'all's faces. We love the fact that it's not just here at Barker, it's out at Otis, at our Freeman campus as well. And we love that all of you online are joining us here today, man, whether you're at home or in a coffee shop someplace or at one of our watch parties, man, we are just excited that you're here. You ever have one of those moments in life when uh, you just kind of pause for a second and you think to yourself, what in the world am I doing? You know, how did I get myself into this situation? I mean, maybe it's even to the point that you're going, this could really end badly for me. I mean, uh, you know, we kind of find ourselves in those moments, right? Now, most of you know, I started here at VRL back in January. Uh, when my family and I moved here from Savannah, Georgia. Now, understand, Savannah, Georgia is the farthest north my family ever lived, right? So we drove across country headed into Spokane, Washington. I Actually, I just drove by myself into Spokane, Washington, uh, right in the beginning of January. Now, if you remember, we had that big snowstorm right at the beginning of January. Now, you may not have thought it was big. For a guy from Savannah, this was a blizzard, all right? I mean, everything was sucked. It was crazy, right? No, not really. I know it wasn't that big of a snowstorm, but it was for me. I drove in on the day that it, that first snowstorm we had in January. Now, I'm staying at Randy and Donette Pickett's house. Now, Randy and Donette are two great folks. They've become dear friends of ours, really gracious. They said, look, we've got a daylight basement. We had to sell our house back in Georgia. And, uh, you know, my family was going to move out after the house was sold. So I came out by myself, like I said, and we got into, uh, all right, I got into Spokane and drove up to Randy and Donette's house because they said, hey, come, we've got daylight basement, stay here, make yourself at home as long as you need. And so I wanted to help out, right? I mean, they were being so gracious to me. Uh, they got a driveway full of snow, and they actually have a really long driveway. They're kind of back in the woods. They got a, I don't know, it's like four or 500 yards long, and, and so uh, they don't have a snow blower. They have a quad with a snow plow on the front of it. So I said, hey, Randy, man, hook me up, buddy. I want to help out. So Randy introduced me to the quad. Now, everything was going along great. You know, I'm out there plowing snow for the very first time and, and figuring out how to do this. Well, and then there's a, you know, there's a few hairy moments, you know, those times when you almost drive into a ditch or run into a pile of snow that's way too big and they don't move so easy when they get that big and all of a sudden you're stopped in an instant. And probably the third or fourth time I was sliding across the driveway and into a ditch someplace, that thought crossed through my mind. What in the world am I doing? You know, how did I get myself into this situation? And frankly, this can end pretty badly for me if I'm, if I'm not careful. Now, folks, we've all had those moments, right? Whether it's outdoors someplace or, you know, walking down the street, whatever it is, we've all found ourselves in, this, in those moments. Remember, I kind of give your person next to you a nudge. If you know that story when you're kind of going, hey, you remember that time, right? Or if you're online, Make some comments in the chat to the people that are joining you in your, in your rooms and, and kind of share what that story is. We've all had those stories. I've had hundreds of them over my life, right? Those times when you pause and you think, well, life may get really interesting really soon. And, and as tough as it is when we find ourselves in those moments, kind of those physical situations, it's a lot harder actually when 
it's not so much physical threats around us, but it's more the stuff that's going on inside. Those things that are causing instability and insecurity uh, and kind of, kind of derailing life in a way that's just stressing us out and causing fear and anxiety. And frankly, so much more than that, that just gets life out of balance and life off kilter. I mean, we're kind of becoming experts at this right now, right? And we've got stuff going on with COVID, but those things also affect us deep inside. And the truth is that in this craziness of life, what's going to determine whether your life continues to flourish or whether your life continues to stand and to stand strong, frankly, is not how moral or good that you are. Now, I know I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to say that, right? We're all supposed to be good people. But it's not how moral. It's not all the good things. It's not how much good that you're going to do that's going to keep you standing strong. It's not the accomplishments of your past. It's, it's not your resume. It's certainly not your bank account. In other words, it's not what you stand for that's going to bring stability in your life. Rather, it's what you stand on. Now, today, we're going to be continuing our journey through the book of Philippians. And Paul has given us so much good teaching through this. And today, he's going to challenge us. As he kind of nears the end of his letter, he's going to challenge the Philippians. And he's going to challenge all of us to find that place that we stand on. And then he's going to give us some help in in learning how to stand there. Look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I like the NIV and how it says it here. It says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Paul loves the people of this church. They are dear to him. And so he expresses his heart to them. I want you to stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends of mine, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. And what Paul's saying to them and all of us is, look, if we want to live a life that's unshakable, then we're going to have to stand firm in the Lord because an unshakable life is grounded in an immovable God. Let me say that again because I want you to get that. An unshakable life is grounded in an immovable God. It's not grounded in the things around us. It's not grounded in the world that we live in. It's grounded in our immovable God. And now that sounds really great. But we all know that's not so easy, is it? I mean, we we understand. Stand firm, Paul says. I want to stand firm. It's not that easy. So Paul's going to help us to learn some things we can do to help us do that. And and it starts in verse 2. Now, what's happening here is Paul's going to use a situation. He wants to correct a situation that's going on in the church, but he's going to use that as an opportunity to teach the people at Philippi and, and all of us in the process. So in verse 2, he says this, Now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now, folks, this just got awkward, right? Paul's naming names. Now, think about that. This is not a letter to a person. This is a letter to a church. It would have been read to the whole church. And Paul's calling out these two women. Now, these aren't just any two women in the church. They're very significant. They're very influential in the church. Look down in verse 3. And I ask you, my true partner, he's talking about the church as a whole, to help these two women 
for they worked hard with me in telling the others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. In other words, these women were with Paul when he was there starting the church. As a matter of fact, in, if you look back in the book of Acts, it tells us that when Paul got to Philippi, he partnered up with some women who helped him to share the gospel and establish the church in Philippi. These are those women. These are the key players in the church. They were there from the very beginning. They worked side by side with Paul. And for some reason, they have a disagreement. Now, we don't know exactly what their beef is with each other, right? We, we don't, aren't given those details. But we do know this. Whatever the problem was, it was serious enough that it had traveled all the way from Philippi to Paul in prison in Rome and to the point that Paul felt from prison in Rome that he needed to address it all the way back in Philippi. This is significant, and it's going to have repercussions because of their influence in the church. It's going to have repercussions on everybody around it. So it's affecting everybody. So Paul uses this as an opportunity to teach and to lead the entire congregation. Now, the first thing he tells them to deal with this unsettled time, this is causing the church to be shaken. It's causing people to feel that sense of instability and disunity within the church. So Paul is saying, look, this is how you're going to deal with this. First of all, you're going to have to combat worry prayerfully. You're going to have to approach this with prayer. The first lesson we see is in verses 4 to 7. He says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Man, I love Paul. He does this over and over through the letter. Have joy in the Lord. Have joy. The Lord loves you. The Lord is there for you. He, he wants to be there for you. He wants to help you through whatever you're facing. So rejoice in that. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you're going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Man, don't you love that passage? I love this passage. It's actually one of the most taught-on passages in the Scriptures. I mean, we, we hear about it a lot. People teach on it all the time. It's a passage that people go to when they're stressed out and worried in life to, to find hope. And that's why we love this passage. It's full of incredible hope. But it's also an incredibly difficult passage if you really dig into it because it just really expresses what we deal with in our life. Now, on the surface, it doesn't really look like that to us as the Bible's been translated to us because Paul says, hey, don't worry, right? But this word worry here is a really strong word in the Bible. It literally means to be torn into parts. And it's a word picture that Paul uses and that all the people of Philippi would have understood. It's a word picture of horses that are tied to the same thing but are, being, are pulling in opposite directions. Doesn't fear and anxiety and worry feel like that? I mean, as a matter of fact, isn't that kind of the biggest tension we have in our life? Hope on one hand and anxiousness and fear and worry on the other. And those two forces are just kind of pulling us apart in life, kind of tearing us apart from the inside out. And folks, we all struggle with it. All of us. There is no exception to that. Things in our life that are just pulling us in different directions, that hope and that fear that's pulling us in directions. And it doesn't have to be an outside circumstance like COVID either. 
As a matter of fact, the things that are the toughest, the things that pull us apart the most are the things that are going on inside. You know, maybe we've got a loved one that's in hospice right now and it's just tearing us apart as we worry and care for them. Maybe our children are having problems and we're trying to raise them the best we can and speak into their lives and, and it's tearing us apart inside. Or maybe we're having struggles at work or finances, whatever it is, those things that really sink deep within us and tear us from the inside out. And so what ends up happening, and I know for me especially, what I get is I get this worry or these fears that are going on in my life and it's like a tape playing in the back of my mind. I don't even always notice it's there. I just know I wake up in the morning and my jaw's kind of sore, you know, because I've been gritting my teeth or, or grinding my teeth in my sleep. Or I get to the end of the day, and this for me is it. I get to the end of the day and, and, and my, my, you know, I'm just tight. You know, my fists are kind of clenched and I'm just wound up because there's these things playing over and over in the back of my mind. I don't even realize it's there. And here's the tough part. If we're really honest with ourselves, with this particular passage in the Bible, Paul is horribly unhelpful. I mean, let's be honest with the text. And let's be honest with life and what we've experienced in life. It's horribly unhelpful, Paul. Hey, rejoice, be happy, and pray about it. And then you're gonna have peace. You know what, folks? I've tried to rejoice in the past. I've tried to pray in the past, and the peace has still eluded me. And it's just not that simple. And Paul understands that it's not that simple because we're all wired so differently. Every single one of us are wired with this tension that is within us. And Paul's going to help us to walk through that, so to have no fear. But it is difficult when we read this passage just on the surface and going, all right, Paul, I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. It's just not always working. But like I said, we're wired so differently. Matter of fact, there's a psychologist his name was Fritz Reimann. In 1961, did an extensive study about anxieties and fears. And his conclusion was this. Interviewed hundreds of people that struggle with this. His conclusion was that every human being on the face of the planet has a core fear and a, or a core anxiety. Every single one of us. And he, matter of fact, he went through listing it. And what was really interesting in his list, and we're not going to go over the whole list, but his list, it's always the opposites of each other. For example, just a couple that, from his list, some people fear nearness. In other words, they fear intimacy with other people. Letting people get too close brings them a lot of anxiety. Other people, on the opposite end, fear distance. They fear being alone. You know, he goes on the list, some people fear change. You know, when things are changing and just not stable and nothing's the, you know, everything's, not, everything's inconsistent, but other people on the other end, they fear permanence. They fear that nothing will change. Folks, it goes back and forth. We're all wired with this. We all deal with this. And we've got to admit to the fact that these worries are real. We've got to admit to the fact that it's not that easy of a process because that's where growth begins. When we can get to the point where we acknowledge the truth about ourselves and about the struggles that we have, that's where the growth begins. There's extreme value in being self-aware. Self-aware to the point that you can go, look, all right, this is me. This is me. This is who I am. The good or the bad, the strong or the weak, the stable or the unstable, this is who I am. And guess what? God still loves me. Jesus Christ still died on the cross for me. But he's going to challenge me to grow from where I am to who he wants me to become. 
And if I can stand in that place where I can accept who I am with all the struggles that I might have, if I can accept that and stand firm in the love that God has for me, then I don't have to go to the dark places of fear and anxiety. I don't have to revert back to that place. Instead, I can stand firm and I, continue to, and I can continue to charge forward after Jesus and everything that Jesus wants me to become. So that's Paul's challenge. Look, it starts by rejoicing. It starts by understanding, not just being happy, but understanding that God is with you and you can rejoice in that, that you're not alone in this. And then you're going to pray and, and you're going to acknowledge the fact that God is willing to take this from you and to walk you through this. And it's not just Paul's encouragement to us. As a matter of fact, both of those things, the way that it's written in the text, is to bathe our lives with joy and to bathe our lives with prayer so that every part of our life is covered every single day of our life. So when we're finding ourselves carrying the worry, when we're finding ourselves carrying the fear, that we can be disciplined enough to stand firm in the Lord and say, look, that's not how I'm going to live. That's not who I'm going to be. I'm gonna let that fear go. I'm gonna let those anxieties go. I'm gonna put them in the hands of God because he has asked me to and he is there for me. And it's not a one-time decision, folks. It's a continual ethic of how I live my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That I am no longer a slave to fear or to worry. Instead, I am a child of the Most High God. So Paul says that's how you deal with it. He starts off by dealing with it prayerfully, by, by rejoicing in who God is, and finding, little by little, you're gonna begin to find that you're experiencing God's peace. Don't, don't be deceived. It's not that all of a sudden God's peace just washes over you and everything is perfect and, and life is perfect. It happens bit by bit, little by little. You begin to experience piece by piece the peace of God. Now, I know that's not easy and it's hard and so Paul doesn't stop there. He's gonna help us even more by helping us to understand that we also need to focus our thinking intentionally. Now, he's gonna challenge us to do this by by freeing our mind. Now, I love the movie The Matrix. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's actually a series of three movies. The Matrix is a great movie, lots of action, sci-fi stuff, all those kind of things. Uh, but there's one scene in there that I particularly like. Now, if you don't know the movie, there's a main character, Neo. Neo lives in The Matrix. The Matrix is a make-believe world that everybody thinks is real. But Neo is rescued out of the make-believe world by a guy named Morpheus. Morpheus rescues Neo and then basically tells Neo the mission is to get more people out of the matrix. As a matter of fact, they want to get everybody out of the matrix. But in order to do that, Neo, we're going to have to go back into the matrix. But here's what you need to learn, Neo. Because you're no longer part of the matrix, because you're no longer bound to it, you're no longer bound to its rules anymore. It doesn't define you anymore. But in order to step out of that, in order to start experiencing that differently, Neil, you're going to have to free your mind. As a matter of fact, there's a scene. They're standing on top of a, of a skyscraper, kind of in New York, with another skyscraper way off in the distance. And, and Morpheus looks at Neil, and he goes, free your mind. And he takes off running, and now they're in the Matrix. So he takes off running, gets to the edge of the skyscraper, he jumps, and he probably goes, I don't know, a quarter mile down the road, on, and lands on top of another skyscraper. Impossible, right? 
but not if you free your mind, not if you let go of the rules. Now, I know it's a movie. We don't live in the matrix, right? But it's a great picture of what God calls us to do and to be in Christianity. Yes, we still live in this world around us, but we don't have to let this world around us define us and limit us and hold us down and hold us back and bind us up. We can free our minds. We serve a God that is far bigger than this world and is leading us to free our minds from, this, from the limits of this world, but also the limits that we have put on ourselves, the limits inside of us. To change from a worldly perspective to literally take on the mind of God himself. Look at verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Don't just think about them, Paul says. I mean, he, he wants us to Fix our minds on them. It's not just a value you have, but to, to really center our lives on this. It's kind of like the difference between somebody who likes football and somebody who's a true fan of a team, right? People who like football, well, they like to catch a game on television, right? Yeah, they grab some popcorn or, you know, whatever, chips, dip, nachos. Let's catch a game. Let's have some fun. Let's go down to the stadium, watch a game live. That's awesome. That's fun. I like football. Somebody who is a true fan they have fixed their mind on a team. They can tell you about the players. They can tell you about the coaches. They can tell you about the injury report. They can tell you who they need to address in the, or what positions need to be addressed in the, in the next draft that's coming up. They can tell you who won the last 10 Super Bowls and what the scores are. Man, they fixed their mind on this. That's what Paul is calling us to do. Not just think about them. Not just value these things, but to fix our minds, to fix our lives on these things, and that's what he's challenging us to have. If we're going to stand firm in the Lord, then we need to start thinking like the one that we're standing on. We need to fix our mind on the things of God. Now, finally, Paul's going to give us the secret sauce here. The secret sauce that Paul talks about is pursuing it diligently. I mean, man, you're going to have to want this, Paul says. You're going to really have to go after it. You can experience the peace of God. But this isn't some sort of vending machine. You're not going to put your quarter in and pull a knob and something's going to come out, right? Push a few buttons and you got it. Peace of God. It's awesome. No, no, no. This is going to be a lifelong pursuit. If you want to overcome the fears and the anxieties and the worries, the things that derail your life, if you want your life to get to the point where you're standing on solid ground instead of the shifting sands of the unshakable world that, or the, uh, the, the shake-filled world that we live in, that wants to constantly get us off balance and keep us off balance, then you're going to have to go after it. You're going to have to want to pursue it diligently. Not something we do just today. Not just something we do this week or this month. But a lifelong pursuit. Look at verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Three real key words in here. First of all, keep. Like we are just talking about it. You're going to have to keep after it. Keep doing it over and over and over. When you feel like doing it, get it done. When you don't feel like doing it, get it done. You're going to have to keep going after it. What do you have to keep going after? Everything. That's one of the things that's, a, that's the biggest challenge in this. See, it's not just rejoicing that, that is going to bring peace in your life. It's not just prayer that's going to bring peace in your life. 
It's not even just changing the way we think or freeing your mind that's going to bring peace. It's all of these things combined together that are going to lead us to where God wants us to be. So we got to do, we got to keep after, we got to pursue everything. But understand that third key word, he says, then. You're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep doing everything, pursuing it consistently. Then you're going to begin to experience the peace. Folks, we're going to have to want this. It's no small directive, but it is an incredible promise that in the midst of the chaos of life around us, in the midst of the fears and the worries that want to tear us apart, that wants to constantly pull us in the different directions, and that sometimes just breaks our heart, folks, we can stand firm in the Lord. We can stand firm in our world. We can stand firm in our own mind. And we do that through prayer and rejoicing and with intentional thinking and going after it hard because as a child of God, you are not a slave to your thoughts. You are not a slave to this life. You are not a slave to this world that we live in. And I know that it may not feel like it, but nobody determines who you are. Nobody determines who you are becoming but you. God has told us in the scriptures that he will even not, he won't even do that against our will. We can invite him in to do that, but he won't do it against our will. We're the only ones that can make that decision. The world certainly can't do it. We feel like it does, but the world can't do it despite how hard it tries. Folks, it always has been our choice, our decision. What direction are we going to go? What are we going to put our minds on? Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, and I love this because it talks about these steps that we take towards reaching this goal. Because I know this seems like a lot. It seems overwhelming, and, and it is a huge challenge. But Ralph Waldo Emerson said this way, sow a thought, reap an action. Right? There's your first step. Just, just start thinking, and, and something's going to change. Sow an action and reap a habit. Now it's going to become regular. You begin to do that often enough that it becomes regular in your life. Sow a habit, reap a character. It literally becomes part of who you are. And then sow a character and reap a destiny. It can literally change your life. See, in the end, as big of the challenges that Paul has given us, his message to us is very, very simple. Whatever you put your focus on, that is what you're going to see more of in your life. You put your focus on joy, you put your focus on God, that's what's going to begin to change in your life. That's what you're going to begin to experience in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are God who is near to us. And God, this is no easy task. It is no small task. What Paul's laid out here it is probably, I, I believe, one of the toughest challenges that we see in Scripture even, even more difficult than some of the moral challenges that we find to just get wired differently within ourselves, to free our minds, to see you and to see this world and to see ourselves with different eyes and a different experience. But that ultimately leads to the peace that you want us to experience, to being the people that you want us to be. So God, we just give ourselves to you. We pray that you would take our worries and fears from us now We want to hand them over to you and trust and rejoice that you are there to receive them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.